Welcome to the Grace-Based Family Podcast. We're We're your hosts, hosts, Karis Murray and Michelle Brook. This is a podcast where we look at the power of grace in the everyday lives of families. We're excited for you to listen in on the conversation. Hey, Karis. Hi, Michelle. Today we have a super fun guest who is near and dear to my heart. I know. And you know one of your besties. Yes, absolutely. One of my sweetest and long- Friends, I mean, since what seventh grade? It's nice to say longest friend rather than oldest. oldest did you like friend. how I, I like how you did that there? <laughs> yes. So today we are going to talk to Megan Hunt, and Megan, we have had her on before, but um, I think of her as the expert of all things parenting. I mean, really, she's so wise. She's so creative in coming up with some really good parenting solutions. She's really intuitive with um, kids and coming up with great discipline options and communication skills with kids. She has five kids of her own. Um, she was a foster mom, adoptive mom. She right now is a first grade teacher and she's also trained in trust-based relational intervention. So she is, has a wealth of knowledge of how to deal with little ones. She takes care of 30 all day at school and then comes home and takes care of five of her own. So we are so happy to have you on today. Welcome Megan. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So Megan, Megan and I spent, um, a couple days together. I don't know. When was that? When I was out visiting you in Louisiana this summer or something. And I kept seeing these different ways that she would redirect her kids or parent them. And I started taking notes when we were driving back to the airport. I'm like, this would be so good for a podcast because you have really creative solutions. So I kept notes in my phone and I'm like, Hey, can you come on and, and share some of these with our listeners? So we're happy to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and excited to share some of the tips and tricks that I've just picked up along the way. Absolutely. Do you mind sharing with us how you came to really kind of seek out this, this trust-based relational intervention training and um, maybe some of your story for our listeners that don't know you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have kind of a unique story in that um, I became a foster parent when I was young and single. I was um, a couple years out of college and um, just seeking for what God had next for me in my life. Um, and I heard very clearly that, um, that foster care was for me. So I became a foster parent with no intention of adopting, but God had other plans for me. Um, I adopted my son Cooper from foster care when he was two. Um, and Cooper ended up having um, a host of special needs in addition to a lot of trauma from the um, abuse and neglect he experienced before he came to me. Um, and so he was really my training ground. <laughs> he mm. has taught me everything that I know. And a lot of the ways that I've sought to learn how to parent is because of Cooper and his needs. And so a lot of the things, like I said, that I gathered along the way were, were out of necessity, out of need for me. Um, I wanted a way to be able to connect with him um, as the first step in redirecting and coaching him and leading him ultimately to what the Lord has in the, the best way for his life. Um, So I got married when Cooper was seven to my husband, Logan, um, and we had three biological kids who are now seven, six, and four. And then just a few years ago, we adopted our oldest son, Ethan, who um, is now 16 from China. Actually, 17. He just turned 17. I'm like, wait, no. He just turned 17. So now we have um, Ethan, who is 17. Cooper is almost 16. And then our three little ones are seven, six, and four. Um, and so I've been, like Michelle said, a foster parent, um, we've adopted internationally and have done, um, 
ESL parenting. <laughs> we have yeah. three biological kids that are, um, you know, different personalities and um, different skills and strengths. And so I've gotten to develop a lot of and hone a lot of those skills. Um, but for trust-based relational intervention, TBRI is just an incredible um, resource and skill set that really focuses on the relationship and building trust in order to parent and coach and help people um, to kind of move in the best direction for them. And so that works, especially with kids who have experienced trauma and come from broken places, hard places, but it is very good for all of our children and um, those really tricky times. And so a lot of the tips and things that I've learned are kind of funneled from that in focusing on connecting with the child before you um, seek to calm them down, redirect them or, um, or discipline them. So, yeah, I, I love that you use the word coaching Mm -hmm. because I think when we think of discipline, um, as part of parenting, we can see it as a negative thing we have to do. Um, and uh, you know, as I talk about in my book, grace-based discipline, discipline is a form of grace. You know, we are, we are being gracious to our kids when we redirect them, when we de-escalate them, when we coach them towards what they should do instead. Right. Yeah. That's exactly it is a right. And so, yeah, I love that. That is, well, Megan, that is how I start sharing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, we have a little delay here. Um, why don't you share with us some of these like pre-training coaching um, techniques or tips that you have that have worked well with your kids and your students? Sure. So I realized um, along the way that a lot of the things that I do that are um, help me be successful and help my kids be more successful actually are before any need for discipline even happens. <laughs> right. Before anybody disobeys, before anybody makes a bad choice. A lot of the things that can help them be more successful are on the front end. And those are things, especially in my family, that might look a little different. Um, and so I want to be able to share those because they, I think they work for all kids. They work for my students and they work for the children in my family that have special needs or not. Um, so the first thing that kind of undergirds, um, I think, my parenting style is the ability to share control with my kids when I can. I am their authority as God is my authority, but there are a lot of ways that I can share control with them and give grace to them, give them independence or the freedom to choose um, that before even um, I ask them to do anything, I have that in my mind that I'm not going to say you are going to do this because I said to do it, get the pink shoes on in two minutes. I might say something like, um, it's time to get our shoes on. Which shoes would you like to wear? Um, and in that, I would give them options that are both okay with me. <laughs> I right. wouldn't say, take any shoes you want to go to church because we might have rain boots or whatever. And that might be fine for, for some families. For me in Louisiana, we got to wear our church shoes to church. And so I would say, <laughs> uh, you can choose the pink ones or the gold ones. And that little tiny sliver of control allows our children to feel um, empowered to be themselves and gives them that grace um, and freedom to be different. And it also um, allows us when we do need to ask them to do something immediately in a specific way, they feel more inclined to allow us that freedom to, to direct them that way. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite things to do is say, would you like to do it? If I really need it done, like pretty fast, I could say, 
um, I need you to do this. Will you do it in, in two minutes or five minutes? Um, and a lot of times they'll say two, or sometimes they'll say, oh, I want five. And you go, great. Because to me, I kind of don't care. I just need it done <laughs> kind of soon. Um, and you would be so surprised at giving people the choice of when they do something or a very small choice. Now, remembering that like everything, every option I'm going to give them is completely uh, fine with me. I would not say something that I wouldn't be okay with. Um, and I have to give credit to that idea to a program called Love and Logic. They've really given kind of some um, feet under a lot of those ideas, um, you know, that grace-based parenting kind of supports. So yeah. um, sharing control is a, a really great way to, to do that. Um, another thing that I use is a lot of little tools that are really easy to come by. Um, I know, Karis, you were showing a visual timer. Visual timers are like my very favorite thing. Um, I think you it... gave me one for Christmas. Um, <laughs> oh, you gave me, she gave me a timer for the fridge. It was a visual timer. I'm like, what is this thing? Mm. I'm like, is this like, so my food doesn't burn? You're like, no, this is to help your kids. I'm like, oh, okay. See, you have all the ideas. So <laughs> I have, I, I'm a recipient of a visual timer. From yeah. It's just like a little circle. If you can imagine a circle that kind of looks like a clock and you wind it and the kind of it makes the time be red and then it the red gets smaller and smaller and smaller um and for my kids I have a different one for each kid that's on my fridge that's a different color so Elizabeth's is pink and so if I say Elizabeth I need for you to work on cleaning up your room let's see how much you can get done in 10 minutes I might set that mm -hmm. timer for her whereas my older daughter Carlisle on her purple timer might have a task that is longer than that so we can all be doing different things and it gives them a visual expectation of what we need from them and it also helps us as parents to be committed to what we say that if we say like okay in 10 minutes you can stop you know sometimes I can get doing things and forget like oh it's actually been 45 minutes <laughs> yeah so it kind of helps me <laughs> Well, and you know I have a daughter who has ADHD I have ADHD um, and one of the symptoms of that is really an inability or a, a lessened ability to feel time passing mm. in a way that neurotypical people do that, you know, and, and time is very uh, relative and sometimes time feels like it's passing quickly. Sometimes it feels like it's passing slowly. That's normal that everybody experiences, but neurotypical people have some sort of natural inbuilt sense of time passing and people with certain disabilities or, uh, you know, conditions like ADHD don't feel it passing the same way. And so I have found even just for myself as an adult, visual reminders of time, visual cues of time to be so helpful. And then for my daughter, it helps her to have a level of independence because she feels like, okay, this is helping me to function. Uh, you know, and it's kind of just giving her that boost that she needs to feel like she, she can do well at something. So even she's a, you know, a senior in high school now, we still use visual cues or, you know, now that she has technology, she has a phone, she has a watch and it can, it, you know, her watch can buzz on her wrist and sort of reach out and touch her when something needs to happen. And we've found that to be so helpful. Yeah. I think visuals are just great for everybody, no matter what your background is. Um, you know, another thing that I love to do is to have um, a dry erase board for my kids available to make lists. 
lists. And Michelle and I were talking about this because, um, you know, we typically make lists on paper and, you know, Mm -hmm. you write it and you cross it out. Well, I'm a little bit perfectionistic. And so if I don't get through my list, it really, really bothers me. And then I can be thinking, like, kind of get obsessive about like, okay, this is what the list says. I have to do it. Um, But a dry erase board is beautiful because it allows us to make changes and not be able to see them, not be able to see them as mistakes. It allows us to be flexible and teaching Mm -hmm. that flexibility. So um, a lot of times I'll make lists for my kids on a dry erase board or I brought this to show you a dry erase clipboard is like my best friend. So (laughs) it can be a clipboard and a dry erase board. Um, We have those kind of stashed all over our house and all over my classroom because I use them all the time. Um, It helps us kind of help our children anticipate plans and things. In fact, at the end of the day, it's really interesting. One of my children has a routine and she comes with a post-it and says, mom, will you tell us what we're, will you write down what we're doing after school? And so I can kind of write down and help her anticipate rather than without that kind of support. Sometimes kids are a little anxious or antsy or when are we going home? Why aren't we? And they're just a little discombobulated with, I kind of need in my mind a structure of what is going to happen so I can prepare myself for what we're going to be doing. Um, you know, that, I think that, that helps all of us. Um, Mm -hmm. rather than saying, uh, like it's time to do something right now. A lot of times I'll give some heads up, like, Hey, in two minutes, it's going to be time to do this. Or in five minutes, we're going to do this. And I think, um, just adding that to your repertoire of (laughs) parenting is so helpful. Gives people the awareness that a change is going to come. Um, And when it is time for me to ask them to do something, just the language of rather than like, hey, can you get your shoes on? Sometimes it's more of a question and they could very easily be like, no, no, I'm not (laughs) doing that. Yeah. (laughs) More of an invitation. And so my favorite phrase is it's time to like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's time to do this rather than a command, get your shoes on. It's time to do this. And they're Mm -hmm. naturally like, oh, okay. Well, so it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and I find all the time, I mean, when my kids were much younger, it doesn't happen so much now, but, but I would make that mistake and say, Hey, can you go get your shoes on? And they'd be like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to. And, and I find myself saying like, I realized that I phrased that as a question. It's a directive. (laughs) It is an order. (laughs) Go do it. Um, But I love just, just have it, just changing up your vocabulary and how you phrase something can have Mm -hmm. such a positive effect on the outcome. Yes. Mm -hmm. And actually... Oh, go we ahead, talked Michelle. about this with Cynthia Tobias when she was on, she was, um, a police officer. And she said, when she would say to someone that she was pulling over or trying to arrest, she added the word. Okay. With a question mark at the end of the sentence, it had, I forget what the statistic was like, uh, I don't know. I'm going to think it was high. Michelle, you shared that with me. And I listened yeah. to that episode because it yeah. has been wildly successful for me. My son with special needs, it is so interesting because he does it. I do it to him and I'm like, uh-huh. okay. And he's like, okay. And then yeah. he does it back to me. He's like, really? mom. Okay. Like 
can yeah. you, can we do this in 10 minutes? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it really like, it's getting that confirmation. You're getting, you're getting buy-in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're seeking that, that agreement and that buy-in from them almost before they realize what you're doing. Now, right. the point is not to trick our kids, but you are <laughs> using some helpful psychology and, uh, you know, Cynthia Tobias, yeah. who we, who we cited there, she is now, you know, a parenting expert. She had a, a background as a police officer. And then as a teacher, and then as a trusted, you know, childhood psychologist who says, Hey, this is a great tool for, for saying, um, let's clean off the copy table now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or let's pick up your books now. Okay. Or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it's time to pick up your books now. Okay. And you're, you're utilizing that as this buy-in and people agree with you before mm-hmm. they kind of agree, realize that they've done that. And then yeah. it's like, oh, I said, I, was I do that die. with my husband. I'll be like, I found a good rom-com tonight to watch. Okay. And he's like, okay, wait, what did I just agree to? <laughs> I'm like, gotcha. No, I'm just oh, come on. You know, Mike loves he the does. rom-coms. Yeah. 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 Yes. More yeah. than me actually. You know, so, anyway, one other really helpful phrase, um, that my husband loves. It's my favorite. It's his favorite thing that I taught him as a parent. Of course, you know, he was a single guy when I met him and came right into being the dad to a seven-year-old special needs kid. And so he had to learn really quickly on the fly. But my favorite phrase is when someone asks you something and the answer has to be no, you say no, but thank you for asking. And it is the most fabulous, kind way to tell someone no. Like, mom, can I have a cookie? Like, no, but thank you so much for asking. And they're like, you're welcome. (laughs) You just told them no. It is um, my favorite thing because you really are saying like, I appreciate you coming to ask me, but the answer is no. And then you don't feel like you really have to have any other explanation. You don't have to say maybe later or anything. Just no, but thank you so much for asking. Thanks for asking, but no. Um, so that's another little phrase you can just pop into your vocabulary that, um, that works a lot. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Megan, can you talk a little bit about empathy statements? That's kind of along yeah. the same vein. Yes. So what we've been kind of talking about, um, is the way that we talk to our kids, but I think it's really important, um, to model how we want our kids to talk to each other and to respond to us. And so, um, when, our child is having a hard time to us. One of the best things we can do is just to understand where they are, to meet them where they are and to just describe and empathize with them just as a person, just on a human level. Um, Like I can tell that you're really sad right now, labeling the emotion. I worked with my, my littlest this morning and he was so upset. He could not have Oreos for breakfast. And Mm -hmm. I just said, I can see that you're really sad. And, and I can see that is a really good sentence starter. I can see that. Or I can see you're crying. I can see that you're angry. Someone is kicking. I can see. And then they, they feel like you're noticing them. They're seen by. And then you can start unpacking why that's happening. But rather than saying, like I could have said to him, stop kicking the cabinets. <laughs> you can't have any Oreos. Um, I picked him up on the counter and said, I can tell you're really upset right now. And he's like, yeah. I said, yeah. do you, can you tell me why you're upset and kind of unpack it? So using some of those statements, like I can see you or, or even, you know, like I can know what you're feeling. I can see what you're feeling is important. Um, it helps them to identify it to themselves. And then it helps them when they are interacting with someone else, rather than going exactly to what you need someone to do, identifying kind of where that behavior is coming from. So, mm-hmm. um, 
kind of understanding what's behind their behavior first is really, really um, important. So, and developing that habit as a parent too, what that actually does for you as a parent is it gives you a moment. Because what can happen in, you know, a tricky situation with our kids where they're exploding, the tendency is to match energy with them. You know, the tendency is to match their intensity level. And when we do that, it only escalates. And so in order to deescalate, we often have to deescalate ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, right? We have to have that self-discipline in order to discipline them well. And so I love those empathy statements have the effect on us Mm -hmm. of deescalating our emotions a little bit so that then we can have a moment to to be able to think and to go, okay, what does the situation warrant right now? What needs to happen? It buys us a little time and it emotionally de-escalates us as parents, which happened before really able to respond rather than react. Yes. Well, and with that, I think, um, you know, deferring consequences is one of the things that um, Love and Logic talks a lot about. Um, and it goes right along with what you were saying, Karis, that um, a lot of times as parents, um, our most cringeworthy moments are the moments that we scream at our child, you've just lost TV for a year or something ridiculous that we absolutely right. cannot follow through with. Right, exactly. Um, and so one of the skills that I've um collected that is one of the most helpful things for me is being able to have a conversation with kids about what's happening and defer some of those things. Um, I used to believe that like, I need to handle everything right this minute. You need to know all your consequences, everything right now, but your feelings being really hot is not necessarily the best way. Um, Everyone needs to be in a thinking place. So a lot of times if I'm having a child that is having really negative behavior or done something that requires a consequence or that needs to make restitution. Um, If one child has hurt another sibling or has maybe, I don't know, thrown something or kicked something or done something that really um, needed me to respond to them. A lot of times I will say, you have, I'm so sorry, you have earned a consequence for that. And I want you to go sit on the stairs and that's our little spot. They sit there for just a few minutes. And then I say, when your voice is off and your body is still, you may get up. And so sometimes for some kids, that's a really long time. Sometimes they can get there quickly, but those physical indicators isn't like you're sitting. It's not punitive. It's, I really want you to calm down. Gives me a chance to think. Um, And then I can carry on with their coaching about what they need to be doing differently, what they did do and what they need to be doing differently. Um, And even in that circumstance, I might also defer some consequences. Um, You might hear me as a parent say, you've earned consequences for that. And I'll let you know what they are by the end of today. I'll Mm -hmm. let you know what they are after dinner. Um, That doesn't have, that gives me a chance to think about what really is appropriate and not just what is punishing because discipline, like you were saying, Karis, isn't about us being angry or getting mad. It really is about returning our kids and turning them in the right direction. So we think what is going to soften their heart, what's going to, we are going to help them to see their area of sin, and we're going to help them turn so that they're pointing the right direction. And that's how God disciplines us. Um, So we want to do that the same way. And uh, me as a human, 
I, a lot of times can't think up a good way to do that. Like in a flash, I might need mm -hmm. a minute to think what is going to really turn this child's heart around mm -hmm. or what is going to, um, a lot of times we ask our children as consequences to fix what has been broken. So a lot of times that's a relationship. Um, if we have a child that was really ugly to their sibling, they might need to think of a way to serve their sibling um, and show them that they do care about them, that they want to, um, to love them. But I can't think of those things on the fly. So I think it is okay to say, um, I'll let you know what that consequence will be. And then you know, sometimes I call my husband, sometimes I sit and pray and say, God, help me to think of what I can do to, to move this child's heart back in the right, right. Um, direction. So that's a great skill that we can practice as parents, I think, too. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned the difference between punishment and discipline. I mean, it, it, they sound like synonyms, I think, in our language. We use them interchangeably but they really are so different and God doesn't punish his children anymore. That, that is, that ended Jesus paid, right. The, the, the price for us. Mm -hmm. And so we, we no longer have, uh, you know, punishment enacted on us by, by God. It's, it's then it's about what is for our good right. and how, um, the Lord, yeah, like you said, can turn our hearts back towards him mm -hmm. and he is very gentle. I mean, fortunately he is so gentle with us. And so I think we can model that in our parenting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Megan, one thing I saw you do so well, I always have, but when I was there this summer was talking to your kids about expectations, kind of going back to that pre-teaching thing. Um, can you give us some of the language that you use with your kids for these, you call them social stories. Can you yes. explain? Well, you that is a that? definitely, a, um, that's the special education teacher in me that, um, says that a social story is as a story that's written specifically um, to help students see themselves in a social situation. And so those are kind of a formal situation, a formal thing written out, but I use them all the time as conversations for my kids. You might hear that as we're pulling up to the library with like all my kids in tow, the library scares me to death. Because you have to be quiet. You have to kind of be still. You don't want anybody to draw attention to your family. And our family is very conspicuous. You just see us coming. We've got yeah. a Chinese kid. We got a big Hispanic kid. We got three little ones all running around. It's a little, it's a little wild, but um, that might for, for our family sound like, okay, we're going to go to the library today. You know, the library is a quiet place. When we go in, we're going to stay right next to mommy. And so I'm, I say, we're going to, and I right. kind of use my fingers to point out, we're going to stay right next to mommy. We're going to use our inside voice. And I might say, we're all going to check out one book today. And then we're not going to, I might say, we're not going to use computers today. We're not going to, you know, look at play with the toys today, whatever is in my mind, I try to share with them and eliminate those mom, can we please get on the computers? That big fight that might happen. I'm trying to anticipate those while I'm still in the car. <laughs> so yeah. they say like, mom, why can't we use the computers? I might say, oh, you know what? This time we only have a few minutes. And so we're going to go in and out. We might do that next time. And those conversations I can have in my car. So when we walk into the library, I will, I'll say, remember what we talked about. Remember what we talked about. And a lot of times I'll put those reminders on my fingers. It helps me remember because I have five fingers on one hand that really I should give no more than five reminders to my kids because they can't remember those. And so a lot of times I'll just do three. Like we're going to stay with mommy. We're going to keep our inside voices and we're only going to check out one book today. And then when someone says like, mom, 
can I go over there? I just show them the finger <laughs> that I put it on. Like, remember, hello, I just number showed two. you. Yeah. yeah, number two, I just showed you. And then when I leave the library, I'll just praise them and say, great job. You guys all, st- I just review, you all stayed with me. Your voices were so low. That was perfect. I don't think anyone could hear us. We all got our one book. What a great job. We can, we'll be able to come back to the library again. Um, and then, you know, I always feel free that if at any point my kids need a reminder, I'll just say, Hey, I think we need a reminder. Let's go back to the car right quick. And we go right back to the car and say, okay, I think we forgot some of our things we're going to do here today. And it doesn't take more than one time of them being completely embarrassed to be like, no, we don't need a reminder. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So So the social stories, Megan, is just basically telling your kids what you want them to do, what your expectations are, what you want them to do, what you don't want them to do. And it's not in the heat of the moment. And I know we've both read this book, the explosive child. And a lot of that is like dealing with the issues when they're not an issue, <laughs> having right. the kids buy-in and that conversation when things are calm and they're not in the heat of the moment, when they're trying to like <laughs> check out every highlights magazine at the <laughs> library and like eat granola bars and do sprints. So, um, <laughs> so I love the social stories that not only are you kind of having them picture themselves in that environment, in that situation, but you're doing it beforehand. Like you said, pre-teaching instead Mm -hmm. of reacting in the moment. Yeah. And another way that that works too, is that you can give them how they should respond to a situation if you can anticipate it. So if I say, um, I don't know, for example, in my classroom, I have a social story for a child that about fire drills who gets really nervous. And I say like, when the fire drill go bell goes off I'm not going to scream (laughs) I'm going to cover my ears and I'm going to get in line it tells me like when this happens this is what I will do Mm -hmm. and so with the library situation it might be when mommy says it's time to go I'm going to say yes ma'am or Mm -hmm. when mommy says it's time to go I'm going to I'm going to go whatever Mm -hmm. it is kind of telling them ahead of time what you expect their response to a situation to be and that works at the grocery store it works honestly anytime and when you get in the habit even with my teenagers, when I say, hey, we're only when going to the movies, <clears throat> we're getting a snack or a drink. We're not buying the whole snack bar this time, you know. <laughs> so when we get up to the snack bar, you can pick one snack or one drink and we're going to stay for the whole movie and then we're going to leave or whatever it looks like. So I think you can adapt it to anybody. Um, and it's just helpful all the way around mm-hmm. to know what someone expects from you. So that you can be successful. Our kids want to please us. They want to be able to, they don't want to be in conflict with their mom. So um, if we can kind of give them those tools ahead of time, then I think most people want to do what they're supposed to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And the psychology of that is brilliant because studies have shown that rehearsing something in your mind is nearly as effective as rehearsing it in real life life. I actually remember reading uh, an interview with uh, one of the oldest Olympians at the the last summer uh, Olympics. She is a a gymnast and she was like 42, Mm -hmm. which is very old to be doing any, it's not old, but it's old to be doing an Olympic sport and especially a sport like gymnastics. And so one of the things that they asked her was, okay, you know, you've been doing gymnastics a long time. How have you preserved your body and still been able to 
you know, do, do your routines, do your different, um, stunts. I don't know if that's the right term, gymnastics, <laughs> but, um, your tricks or whatever. Tricks. And, and her response was, I do it once in real life. And then I practice it over and over and over in my mind. I think mm-hmm. about how that feels and how I'm going to hold my arms and which way I'm going to spin my head and where I'm going to look. And I just go through it over and over and over in my mm-hmm. mind. And so what we're kind of doing with our kids, when we use these social stories or, you know, the example of your, of your student who was really bothered by probably loud noises. And so the fire drill is really difficult. You're actually working her through the emotional practice in advance. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's, it's super effective. It's effective for all of us, but especially for kids who may have some sensory challenges Mm -hmm. or, you know, some different things that make it hard, you know, they're not neurotypical. I mean, Mm -hmm. life is hard enough for neurotypicals. And, and so if you're divergent in any way, um, those superpowers can kind of come with a price. And so I love this, um, you know, this way of helping them to emotionally and mentally rehearse uh, in advance. Well, and I think too, there's no shame in physically practicing either. You know, that's one thing that I do that is very different that people kind of laugh at, but I take my kids, we have a thrift store that is uh, in our town that I love. And we go, I take my kids there when they're very little to practice how to go shopping because you really can't break anything. Oh, well you could obviously, but it's a really good spot. No one is going to judge you like, Oh my gosh. And not like I'm taking them to Nordstrom or something like right. that. I, we're going to this thrift store and we literally are getting the basket. We're practicing how to walk next to the basket. We're practicing how not to touch things. And I'm just coaching. I'm not going to get anything. I'm just going to coach. And so when my kids are about 15 months old is when I start practicing shopping. And it's when I want them to move from riding in the cart to walking. And that's like something that strikes terror into the heart of all moms everywhere. Like, oh no, they're going to walk. Uncontained. (laughs) uncontained. So that physical practice sometimes is a really good thing where I'm not trying to buy anything. I'm not trying to teach them at the same time as I'm actually trying to get groceries. Mm. I'm just going for the purpose of teaching. Then I'm more patient and they are the focus. And then I can focus on them, praise them for what they're doing right. And then it goes so much better. So a lot of times people will compliment my children in a store. And I really can say, we have practiced this. It isn't magic. It isn't that they're just fabulous kids. It's that I've just seen this as a big need. I get really embarrassed when my kids misbehave in a store. And so I just realized, okay, we're going to have to practice this because they need these skills. And so they're the mental rehearsing, but also just the physical, um, act of practicing something that you need to. It's not something we often think of, but I think it can be really successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Megan, you, you have all these great tips and suggestions for pre-teaching and social stories, but what happens, and I know you've been there and I've seen it, um, <laughs> when your kids just mess up and make a big mistake or throw a fit or melt down in the grocery store or, <laughs> or at home, sass back, mm-hmm. what do you do then? Yeah, that's a great question because we know that all of our kids are going to be there no matter what their issues are. So for me, I think the number one thing is to keep in mind what we've been talking about is that we are coaching them towards the right thing. So we're going to have to identify what they're doing wrong and tell them what they should be doing right. Just like if you're batting in baseball and you um, are holding the bat wrong, 
your coach is not just going to say wrong, wrong, wrong. They're going to say, okay, your hands aren't right. They need to be like this. And that's exactly what my first step is. My first intervention is to label what they're doing. Like you are screaming (laughs) or like (laughs) you are fussing at mommy or you are sassy. Your voice sounds very sassy right now. You need to have a respectful tone of voice or you need to whatever. So it always starts with you are doing this and you need to be doing this. And then I give them a statement that tells them what I need them to do in a very clear way. Please use a different voice or try these words instead. I give them and then I ask for them to do it again. And that shows me their heart, their posture of their heart. If I say to my son who's screaming at me to put on Paw Patrol, I say, you are screaming at mommy. You need to use a respectful voice. You can say, mommy, can you please turn on Paw Patrol? If he says sweetly, mommy, please turn on Paw Patrol, then that's all I need to do. My coaching was done. And I go, good job. Yes, I will. Thank you for using a nice voice. But instead, if he goes, I don't want to, I want Paw Patrol now, which is probably what he would more likely say, then I just, then is when I can move towards discipline and coaching like okay my sweet little correction didn't work and so I always give opportunity for restitution but we know that sometimes there has to be a consequence that undergirds that and so um, my instant um, kind of response is to remove from the situation and give that time to sit and think about a consequence Um, a lot of times I know I know Michelle has seen me do this. I know Karis, you've talked about this in your book. I really believe in the power of do-overs and trying something um, a way that is correct. So um, while that can't all, we can't always do over everything in life, we can so often give our children the opportunity to do something the correct way and to get that cement, that pathway cemented into our brain. Um, You know, that is one of the ways that um, the TBRA training just, teaches you is to um, create the correct pathway because it might not exist. You know, they might not know like what we need to do. Sorry. Um, We might not know. They might not know what they need to do, but we can show them the way that they need to go by allowing them to redo that situation and try it again in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. I liked using the language, stop, rewind, do over. And, and like you said, practicing things in advance, you know, we would, we would talk about this, this before there was an instance in which we, you know, I did it with them, but it, it works especially well with words and tone of voice where it isn't so much what they're asking as how they're asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talk about it in advance, like, Hey, we're going to try this thing as a family where if, you know, if you say something to me in a way that hurts my feelings or isn't respectful, or I do that to you, I sort of give them the freedom to also kind of turn around and say, mom, stop, rewind, do over, you know, cause I find sometimes my, if I'm crabby or whatever, my tone of voice with them isn't always respectful. So, um, I think that can work really, really well with words. And then also giving, like you said, do-overs with maybe even physical things like, okay, let's, Mm -hmm. let's try coming in the house again, Mm -hmm. because you came in the house and you slammed the door in anger. So let's try going outside and coming inside again. Mm 
and see how that works. I mean, these are just examples off the top of my head, but, um, and I love what you said. I don't want people to miss what you said about labeling the behavior, tagging the behavior is kind of the terminology I use in my book, but, but it, it pinpoints that specific thing. And as you said before, you know, delaying consequences can be a really important tool Mm-hmm. depending on the situation, um, in order to delay consequences effectively, you've got to kind of label or tag that behavior in the moment with your kids so that you can right. say, you know, you, you are using a tone of voice that is disrespectful. Mm-hmm. We're going to stop right here. Or, uh, we, in our family, we are kind. And what you just did to your sister was unkind, mm-hmm. something like that and say, yeah, I I'm going to, you know, you've earned a consequence for that. We're going to talk about what that is after dinner or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Well, it gives I think, you- oh, go ahead. I was going to say in the South, a lot of times we use the word ugly. Like that was just ugly to somebody <laughs> like that was just, you need to quit being ugly. And a lot of people know what ugly is. You, you certainly know ugly when you see it, but for a lot of children, we need, for all of us, we need to say like your eyes were not, you know, your eyes were rolling your tone of voice was really mm-hmm. sassy. You were being loud. You had your arms crossed that to describe what it is so that very clearly they know what they're doing that needs to change. And I think it's super important in this labeling to distinguish between labeling behavior and labeling the child mm-hmm. and their right. character. You know, so if they say something that isn't true, you want to make sure you say what you just said was a lie or what you just said is not true. Mm-hmm. In our family, we always tell the truth rather than saying you're a liar. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you use, if, if you're from a place like the South where we used, you know, you use terminology like that was ugly, <laughs> be careful with that. Cause you do want to make sure that, that your child doesn't ever receive from you a message that they are ugly <laughs> and not just their behavior, mm-hmm. but that, you know, that they're not internalizing that to, to mean that you assume that that's their character. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's the point of a do-over, right? We show them like, I believe that you can do it a different way. You you made the wrong choice there. And a lot of times we, we can see in ourselves, like you were saying, like, if I'm just having a bad day, I'm going to tend to act worse. And I think our feelings can sometimes drive some of those behaviors. And so if we can help our children to work backwards, to understand themselves and to be a little more self-reflective, it'll help them to make better choices when mm. they get to the crossroads of could I make a good choice or a bad choice? Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with my, um, all, all my children, but my special needs child in particular, um, having a really kind of having some meltdowns and not really knowing what he's feeling or what's mm. going on and having a really hard time telling me what that is. And I know um, a lot of moms of toddlers feel that special needs moms, teenagers, I'm right there with you. They have so many feelings. And one of my very key phrases that has been the most helpful for me when someone is kind of losing it, rather than to say, you need to calm down or you need to sit down or stop screaming or stop crying is that very simple. Tell me what you need. What do you need? And it is Mm -hmm. so fascinating to, to, if you try it, because they literally like, Cooper would say to me, like, water, I need water. I'm like, okay, I can give you water. <laughs> we That's can do easy. that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or like, I need some space. I'm like, okay, I can give you that. Or it's too loud. 
or Mm -hmm. I'm just really, I need you to help me fix this. Like, I need you to help me tie my shoe. I'm frustrated. Sometimes they can't say, I'm labeled, figure out their feeling. They can say, I need this. This is what I need. And um, there's been a lot of times I have misread the situation as a parent. And I've been assuming someone was really upset by one thing. And in the end, it was a really easy fix. And when I said the question, what do you need? Especially to my, my toddler, what do you need? I don't want this blue spoon. I want a white spoon. Okay. This whole fit is about a spoon. All right. You need a white spoon. Got it. Fixed. Done. Um, Whereas it would have gone a different way, like coaching him about being grateful and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I figured it out now because you were able to tell me. So ask somebody like just to give you what, what they need and then communicating. I want to help you. (laughs) I want to meet your needs and I want to see you as a person. Um, I think is really just a step in the right direction of helping our kids to just be pointed where they need to go. Well, and even in a situation where you ask them, what do you need? And they say they need something that you cannot give them. Like I need Mm -hmm. that candy bar right in the grocery store checkout line. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you for, it's kind of like, no, No, but but thank thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, That's right. And then you, thank you for telling me what you need. And then you Um, reflect that empathy statement. I know you're really sad. I can see you're really sad because you're really disappointed. You really wanted that. And I know it feels really bad when you want something you can't have. And I'm sorry. I've felt that way too. And then you just keep pushing that grocery cart right out to the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I think you need to come up with like a one pager with all these statements, all these one-liners. Like, I know that must be hard for you. And tell me what you, need. you just need a one cheater. Cause as you know, I'm not good at remembering these. I need it up on my fridge. So I loved all these really helpful, creative tip, tips and tricks and it's hard. And I know you're in the thick of it with a three year old to 17 year old and 30 first graders. God bless you. So thank you so much <laughs> for being on and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, you for are having me. making a big impact in a lot of kids' lives. Well, you are. Thank you. thank you so much. And, and thank you listeners for joining joining us today. We would love to pray for you. So if there's anything that we can pray for, for your family, for your marriages, please reach out to us at family at gracebasedfamilies.com. And thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Grace-Based Families podcast. This is part of Grace-Based Families Ministry. For more resources, check us out on gracefacefamilies.com slash podcast or stream us on all major podcasting platforms. Once again, this is Karis and Michelle. Until next time.